with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. I, I really feel in my spirit that somebody is going to be helped today. Really do. So if you are, just you know, let me know at the end of the service. Genesis 2.24 on the screen says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Cleaving is basically when you come together, when you commit together, and cleaving, it takes time. Somebody say time. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for the word of the Lord today. Open up our hearts to receive the seed. Let it be planted deeply. Let it bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you weren't here last week, but we, we, we took marriage, thank you, and um, we, we looked at the metaphor of slavery. Now, that's kind of a strange metaphor to look at marriage, but what I really wanted to hone in is that as they came together on the boat, they, they did not speak the same language. They did not have the same religion. They had many different cultures, and it was complicated to row the boat with somebody you couldn't talk to. And we related that to marriage of how we have to row this boat together. But what we found out is that even though they went to a new land together, that even up under oppression, they literally became one. And as they came out of oppression and was freed, they came out as one. And that's really how we uh, kind of tied it to marriage is how we should be one. So we're going to dive into this scripture today on cleaving. We're going to continue with our metaphor about slavery because slavery, as we well know, was abolished in the United States. Amen. Praise God for that. And, and it was abolished, abolished because the United States of America amended the Constitution. No longer could anyone be a slave. All slaves were now free. All slaves now had rights. During those slavery years, though, here's the deal, is the people started out thinking, this is how it's always going to be. This is just how it's always going to be in this relationship that I have, slave owner to slave. But somebody say season. Because the season came that the oppressed got tired of the oppression. That's why we see Rosa Parks sitting down on the bus. Amen? And our leaders finally recognized, you know what? We have to amend the Constitution. Now, unfortunately, the amendment caused conflict. Because there had to be, at now at the time, a reevaluation of the relationship between the slave owner and the slave. And here's what I want you to know up on the screen, as in the metaphor, so in the marriage. As a marriage develops, you have to have the fluidity in your marriage and in your life to be able to make the changes that need to be made. You have to sometimes amend the marital constitution. Now, I'm not talking about, ooh, I get to get a divorce. I'm not talking about that. We're not talking about that kind of amendment. We're talking about that, that, listen, there will be changes that take place in your marriage. 
There will be changes that take place. And because of changes, the people that aren't willing to be fluid, that's what's causing marriages in America today to end in a divorce. Why? Because both of you eventually come to the changing place. And one of you desires to change, and the other desires to remain the same. And generally the tendency in a marriage is somebody is going to feel oppressed. And oppression can come in different ways. I'm not talking about, woman, get in there and cook me some food. Now, there may be some oppression like that in the house. I don't know. But, but your attitude can cause oppression to a family. How you shift the atmosphere when you walk in the room because of your attitude and your behavior and everybody's got to bow down to you. You are oppressing them. Are you hearing me? Sinful habits that you will not give up and change because you've got that sinful habit. The whole entire family got to bow down to that sinful habit and we are feeling oppressed. Just because the family and just because the spouse has done it this way for years doesn't mean that they're going to do it for the next 10 years. So somebody's going to rise up. Somebody's going to rise up and say, it's time to change. Tired of doing your laundry. I'm helping you, ladies. Tired of cooking you food. Sick and tired of your ways. And then what happens when somebody rises up? Now you got conflict. So now what you have in the middle of your marriage is the civil rights movement in your marriage. Because sooner or later, anyone that is in a relationship that feels like they are oppressed in any way will rebel. They will rebel. Your constitution, because now your ways and your constitution is not fair to them. And sometimes you've got to make the change. And sometimes you have to have the fluidity to change the constitution. Now that you don't flip it. Flipping it means I was oppressed and now I'm the oppressor. You do what I say. No, that's that's not what I mean. What I mean is now we sit down in this season that both, both of us are changing and, and we sit down at the table and now we negotiate a fair methodology that acknowledges that you're a person and I'm a person. I'm not a slave in this marriage that I'm only acting out the will of you. But we're coming together and we're coming to a conclusion of what is fair and what is equitable to the team. Are you hearing me? So look at the screen. What are the things right now in this season of your marriage that you are willing to be flexible about? What are you willing to be flexible about? Because you're going to have to be flexible. You have to be. Because as long as you go along in marriage, people change. I mean, even my wife, from the first day that we got married to now, she'll tell me how much I've changed. I'm like... Wow, I'm actually a pretty good person with all these changes that I've made. Amen? Even our country, our forefathers knew that eventually as time went on, people and the world would change. That's why they gave us the ability to amend the Constitution. Because you've got to understand, church, the man or the woman that you married 15 years ago is not the same person. If they are, then we're in big trouble. 
They are just not the same person. Are you hearing me? So it's the transitions that are tough. And it's in those transitions we have to ask ourselves, are we going to grow together? Or is this literally going to tear us apart? Because if you do not have the ability to grow together, if you do not have the ability to amend the Constitution, let me go ahead and predict your future. You will grow apart. So in your notes, or there are no notes, but as you're taking notes, you have to, in, on the screen, you have to have an open conversation. And look at me, everybody. Conversation is hard. Conversation is hard. You know the number one reason why I counsel married couples is because they don't know how to communicate. Communication is hard. Anybody agree communication is hard? Okay, let's be real today, okay? Let's just not hide the fact that we're all that in a bag of chips. Communication is hard. The communication is hard because now the problem with communication, the way we do it today is through this. Right? How many of you text your spouse? I'm not against texting your spouse, but what I am against is the fact that texting does not promote intimate communication. If you ever text me, I text in very brief messages, unless you tick me off and then I'll text a long paragraph. And the problem we're seeing in marriages is now we have spouses that want to text complicated issues. And text is not the place to deal with complicated issues. Hey, honey, just letting you know, I had an affair. What? That's a complicated issue, y'all. Hey, honey, I think we need to get a divorce. Hey, honey, I'm no longer attracted to you. Oh, I I love you. I'm just not... Oh, y'all never done that? I I love you, but I'm just not in love with you no more. And it's like, seriously? Can't we just have a face-to-face adult conversation to talk about these complicated things? And then to top it off, what we like to do with each other is we like to play games with each other. We like to play games with each other and act like we're quitting. If nothing changes around here, then I don't know what's going to happen. What are you even talking about? If things don't change around here, I might just have to leave you. And the problem with playing games with people is marriage is not for little kids. Tricks are for kids, silly rabbit. Not marriage. You remember that saying with that cereal box? Marriage is for adults, amen? Carrie and I don't play games. We don't play games. Now, we play games, but I I like to joke with her and and all that stuff. But we don't play games over serious issues like that. And let me tell you something. There are things that Carrie and I do not talk about over text. And there are certain words that Carrie and I will never use in our marriage. And it's called divorce. We have vowed as a couple that that word will never come up in our marriage. But people that are married today are throwing it around like it's just a common word. Text them. Maybe we should just get a divorce. Maybe we should just separate. I just, I just, I didn't fix your coffee today, and that's where we're going. I mean, come on. Couples need to have face-to-face communication in order to get that boat in a rhythm and rowing forward. Amen. 
Because if you're not moving together in a peaceful rhythm, you may row for a while. But after about 10 years, somebody's going to say, my arms are tired. I quit. You wrote this thing. Amen? Now, talking about divorce, I want you to look at Matthew on the screen real quick. Moses, this is Jesus talking. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Now, let me just say this. We've got to understand because the scripture is clear. God hates divorce. He does look if you're in this room and you have been divorced, God doesn't hate you. And I think you've got to get that through your thick skull. He hates divorce because of what caused it. But he doesn't hate you if you've had a divorce. Because what I want you to see in this passage is what I've bold and underlined. This is how divorce happens. Divorce happens when people allow their hearts to get hard. And that's what God hates. He hates a hard-hearted person. He doesn't like a hard-hearted Christian. Because on the screen, what you have to understand is a hard heart is a heart that will no longer negotiate. A hard heart is somebody that will no longer budge in this relationship. And a hard heart is somebody... I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And they'll just shut down communication everywhere you turn. It's a sign that your heart is hardened. God hates that. So today I want to give you five points to keep a soft heart. I want to give you five points to bulletproof your marriage. I want to give you five points that, baby, if you go out of here and you are operating in these five points, not only are you going to be an awesome man or an awesome woman, but I guarantee you, your marriage will stay together forever. Because what I'm trying to prevent is somebody on the boat saying, I'd rather drown in the ocean than row anymore with you. And these, yeah, wow. And these five things are going to help that sentence shut it down right where it is. Amen? Are you ready? Jamie, would you just come sit up front and encourage me? Anybody else ready like Jamie's ready? Because I know all of you got a perfect marriage. You don't really need these. But the day that you do... Okay. Who said that? Okay, now we got an honest young couple. And you notice they're young. They need them. But all you older folks don't. Help us, Lord. Going to be a rough one today. And let me take a sip of water. All you new people, I promise you, it gets better. Y'all ready? Number one. The art of knowing. Five ways to get a grip on your marriage. Stay gripped on your marriage. Is you have to learn the art of knowing. Guys, let me, let me just help you real quick. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It's not on the screen, but you can look it up later. The Bible says the man dwells with his wife according to knowledge. He doesn't dwell with his wife according to assumptions. He doesn't dwell with his wife according to his perspective. Perspective can drive reality, but the problem with perspective is it can be tainted. So what I have to do is I have to dwell with my wife by knowledge. Now, in the Bible, knowing or knowledge comes in two forms. Okay, in order to know who you are married to, there has to be, gentlemen, an ongoing interchange between you and her. And all the men got really quiet 
and, and they're nervous right now. I'm going to help you. Listen, she has to be important enough to you for you to watch her. Because in the Bible, there are two types of knowledge. In the New Testament, there is acquired knowledge. I read the Bible, I acquire knowledge. I go read the newspaper, I acquire some knowledge. That's one knowledge, but that's not what it's talking about. This knowledge is progressive knowledge. An ongoing development of my knowledge. So in a relationship with my spouse, I need to have progressive knowledge. I need to have an ongoing knowledge. Why? Where I can forever be a student of the woman that I have. I'm watching her. I'm studying her. And it goes back and forth. I mean, the, the woman should be a forever student of, of her husband. I, I loved it. Just the other day, we were making elderberry together. I almost, I mean, y'all almost got a bottle of elderberry with tears in it because my wife looked at me and said, what's wrong? And like any good man, I said, nothing. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with me. I got this. I'm the preacher man. <laughs> She's like, something's wrong with you. I'm like, ah. She got me. I was like, how do you know? She says, I know your look. And every time you get that look, you're worried about something. I know you. And I almost cried right there in the elderberry because it just it, it broke my heart to know that she loves me so much that she's still studying me. To the point that even down to the little bitty thing in my face. She says my emotions are like a book. She's always scared that people are reading me. But she, she's got me down pat, I'm telling you. Somebody say, student. Because what you don't want to be is the professor. (laughs) You want to be the student. Because the student says, I'm still interested in you. But when you become the professor, you ain't got nothing to learn about them anymore. So you know what happens in a relationship when you become the professor and not the student? You walk away, you shut down the conversation, and you say, you're the problem, not me. It's quiet in here because somebody has already said that to you. You're the problem. You're the one that needs to be fixed, not me. And that just showed your spouse right then and there, I am no longer interested in you because I'm the professor. You still got a lot of learning to do. Yeah, somebody said, mmm, woo, welcome to Northfield Church. So on the screen, you got to make a conscious effort To invest of forever being a student of your spouse. And I didn't say an investigator either, y'all. I didn't say a 007 agent. I didn't say a little snoopy snoop. Give me all your passwords. Let me see your text. Let me read your Facebook. Let me see your messages. No, 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 no. That's a 007 in private investigator. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about study the person. To study the person, you have to sit down and talk to her. You have to get to know her heart. Well, I already know it. I've been married to her 35 years. No, 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 sir. Professor, okay. Again and again and again to know her. And I'm not talking about the sweet little talk that we have when we're going down the, 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 the road of, you know, what we hide ourselves from one another. I'm talking about a face-to-face talk that you hear her heart. You get down and y'all talk and you actually say, honey, who are you now? Who are you now? 
And then ladies don't get offended. Like, what do you mean who and I am now? You know who I am? No, no, no. I want to know who are, where are we now? What is our next step? And listen to me. My famous all-time line with my wife when we go out on a date. Are you happy? Where are we now? What do we need to change? Are you okay with how everything's going on? I asked my little buddy that the other day. I asked Caden that. I asked my little buddy. I said, Ken, are you happy, son? Oh, yeah, daddy. I said, let's go deeper, buddy. Are you happy in Nebraska? Absolutely. Are you happy with being homeschooled? He just don't like school, okay? <laughs> I said, are you happy learning? Yeah, Daddy. I was like, then that's fine. I asked my daughter that the, uh, 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 one time, and I said, are you happy? And she looked at me, and she said, no. <laughs> so since she's like me, I said, well, you write down what you're unhappy about. She brought two pages. So what did we do? We went to Runza and we went over all the issues and said, this is what we can change. This is what we can try to do to shift that to make you happy because daddy is forever a student of his family and he wants to know where are we now and where are we going. Amen? But in order to know somebody, it takes the second art. The art of listening. <laughs> Because we spend a lot, you know what, y'all pay big money to go to all these conferences to learn how to communicate. Shut the conference down, come right here, let's learn how to listen. Let's learn how to listen because all the conferences tell you how to communicate, how to talky talk to one another. No, let's learn how to listen. Because look, I'll ask people this a lot of times, especially if it's complicated and I'm confused and I get really confused easily. I always ask, what do you mean by that? Now, if they're saying, how is the weather? I don't go, what do you mean by that? I mean, if, if they ask a complicated issue, I want to say, what do you mean by that? Because what you said and what I heard could be two different things. So I want to process it to make sure I'm on the right vibe with you that when I do answer your question, I'm answering the heart of the issue and not just the surface question. So I pray that God would anoint all our ears to hear, not just your outer ear, but the inner ear of your heart-to-heart -heart conversation with your spouse because your inner ear needs to have the humility to look at your wife with a great spirit and say, what, what do you mean by that? I, I want to hear you. I want to listen to you. Not assuming what she said is what she meant. So I teach couples all the time how to communicate. And I tell them the famous line, it's on the screen, is what I heard you say is this. Is this what you meant? Now it gets complicated because there are filters that we're speaking through that can be dirty. And there are filters that we're listening to that can be dirty. And, and the communicator and the listener need to go back and forth and continue this one phrase until they get it right. Go back and forth till we receive the heart of what communication is getting across. But here's the problem with all of us in this room. The business of truly listening is not easy. It takes time. And this is what I hear from couples when I give them this line. Well, we tried that for about a week, but then we had to go do this, we had to go do that. I mean, that just takes too much time, Pastor, to really get down and, and sit down and, and, and talk and talk and talk and really figure it out because she's just hard. 
Okay, fine. Don't listen. And if you feel like you're too busy to listen to the heart of your spouse, then I promise you, you're going to be listening to a lawyer. And now he's going to go over what she's taken from you. Did you hear that clearly? Because she's taken everything. There's an art to listening. How many of you took a class in college of how to listen better? Two people. Because y'all took a psychology class. How many of you in high school sat up under a teacher for an entire year just to learn how to listen? None of you. And the question is, is do we really listen to what others say? And it's not just with their mouth, but there are nonverbal cues that they give off that are just as important as the verbal cues. I teach our couples how to look at those things. Listen, listen to me. You can catch a fallen marriage. You can catch a fallen relationship by changing how you listen to the other person. Because generally people fight and generally people get divorced and generally in relationships people split up for stupid stuff. Somebody say stupid stuff. It ain't the big stuff. Because it's the little stuff that somebody in that relationship could have provided. It's that little thing in the relationship that somebody could have adjusted. It's that little thing in the relationship that somebody could have made a change and shifted the entire thing just by listening to the other person and say, you know what, I'll work on that. It's not the great big stuff, y'all. It is the simple things that either make it or break it. And the difference between happiness and hell is the little things. And I believe there is a marriage or a family in this room right now that is going through hell. And it literally could be a happy place, but you're miserable over the little things. The little things. What are the little things that you're getting wrong What are the little things that keep tripping you up? What are the little things that you would be willing to change? Now, some of you got, well, I got 152 little things, Pastor. So my word would be you is do not look at the war, but look at the battle. Fix one. Don't fix all 152. List them by order of priority and fix that one thing. Are you willing to be fluid enough and pliable enough and not hard-hearted enough, willing to fix the one thing that literally could keep Fred on the boat? Fix that one thing that would keep Sally rowing with you. Because you're not going to fix them all. And don't let it be one-sided in this room right now because I can hear in somebody's spirit saying, yeah, pastor, preach it to them. Tell them to listen to me. Tell them to listen to you. And I'm not talking about him. I ain't talking about her. I'm talking about both of you. Need to learn how to listen. But are you too busy to listen? And if you're too busy to listen, you're going to lose. And then you're going to then pay a professional to help you to listen. I think it's amazing. Now, look, I I know we might have some psychologists in the house, but to pay a counselor to come into the room, to sit there with your wife that you've been married to for 25 years and the counselor only met them for 25 minutes, and to pay a counselor to say, what she's trying to say is... 
What he's trying to communicate to you is you pay professionals. And then you don't listen to your counselor. And you're not listening to your preacher. So guess what you got to pay? A lawyer. Because I know some of you walk out of these messages and you walk out of counseling and you go, they don't know what they're talking about. I already know what they're saying. I already knew that all along. He's just a young, dumb, little punk. He don't know what he's talking about. Okay, keep saying that in your heart. Now go pay the lawyer to tell you, this is what she's really trying to tell you right here. Divorce time. The counselor and the lawyer are going to make money off of you. Why? Because you hardened your heart and would not listen. Now, let's say you're kicking on all cylinders. You got the art of knowing going on. You got the art of listening going on. And some of you need the third one. The art of waiting. Because all of you in here want your spouse to change yesterday. Negotiation. I've already been down at the negotiation table. They ain't changed a bit, Pastor. Okay, then we need to learn the art of waiting. We want everything now. You're not going to know how to cleave in the first six months. I'm telling you, you're probably not even going to know how to cleave in the first five years. It takes time. Listen to me. Remember when I started off about all the junk that you carry? It takes time for you to leave the history of your mother. Angela's back there. Mm-hmm. I love people that interact. It helps me. And all of you are like, I ain't going to say a thing because he's going to pick me out. It takes time to leave the history of your father and to cleave to become one flesh. And let me tell you, in the cleaving process, baby, it's going to be frustrating. Because leaving and cleaving is a process. It takes time for you to get your mother out of your head. (laughs) It takes time for you to get your father out of your head. And it takes time to form a new culture and a new philosophy as one flesh. Then once you've mastered it, guess what? It's going to take time for your kids to get you out of their head too. (laughs) Woo! My poor kids ain't got no chance. Watch watch this. I want to show you this. Y'all remember Jesus down by the well with the woman? Remember? How many of y'all know Jesus was busy? He just, I ain't got nothing to do. I mean, just waiting for the crawl, waiting for him to kill me. (laughs) I mean, he was busy. But he waited at the well. He knew she was coming. And he knew that she was going to change. And I want you to hear me clearly. There are some men in this room who are waiting for their woman at the well. I don't know why you're laughing. Because a waiting man is a good man. Because he hasn't given up on you because he believes that you have the ability to change. There is a woman in this house that is waiting on their man down at the well. 
Because a waiting woman is a woman that believes that their husband has the ability to make the changes that we need to make to make this marriage great. And look on the screen, change takes. If I was to have a scar on my arm and they took a skin graft from perfectly healthy, good skin over to the scar and they took that skin graft and they put it over the scar, it would take time for that perfectly good skin to heal and also to cover up the scar. Take time for that to change. Somebody say waiting on change. See, everybody is happy at first. I love you. You love me. <laughs> I like you. and You like me. So we like both the same. I'd like to say this very day. I'd like to change your name. Right? That's what we do. We say that. And that's why we get married. But then we get into the relationship. And, and, and life causes wounds. Spouses cause wounds and scars. But if your husband or wife is waiting on you, if they're fighting for you, do not make them wait any longer than necessary. Are you hearing me? Don't be so distracted by the scar. You hurt me ten years ago. And I just can't get over what you've done. And I can't get over what daddy did to me. And I can't get over what mommy did to me. And you will not change because you're so fixated on the scar. Ladies, listen to me. Perk up your ears. Come out of your coma. I know men... Because I've been one for 47 years. (laughs) Be careful. Because eventually a man will not wait on you forever. Are you hearing me today? Now I also say this, and, 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 and listen to me. It's one thing to wait on somebody when we're no when we know they're getting ready. Just like my wife. I'll be ready in a minute. I mean, it's literally 30 minutes. Right? So what I do is I go like this. And what does she do? I know, I know, I know. I'm getting ready. I'm I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. I have to jiggle my keys. And my wife says, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm coming. And the keys is a reminder that I'm down here waiting. But what becomes difficult is this. When we wait and we see no change. Whether it be a man or a woman. At least the rushing of my wife lets me know that you're conscious, that you're making me sit here and wait, and we're already late to where we've been invited to, but I see you hurrying, and the consciousness of you rushing around really brings encouragement to me. I know we're going to make it, but when you act oblivious, what you jingling those keys for? I'll be down there in a minute. A minute? 
the hope of change now becomes discouraging because they're oblivious to the request. But those of you that are in the house that you're waiting, you're waiting because you see progress. And if you see progress, don't give up. Don't give up because you have too much invested. Don't give up because you you have too many years, you have too many tears, you have too much time, you have too many kids. Don't give up. Stay at the well of change as long as she's saying, I'm hurrying. Right? Amen? Another thing you need in your arsenal is number four, the art of forgiving. You'll never sustain a lifelong love without forgiveness. Because guess what, ladies? He's going to blow it. He is going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it's going to be the dumbest thing he's ever said in his life. He's not even going to know it's a dumb thing, and he's going to keep on saying that dumb thing, not knowing that it's actually getting up under your skin. (laughs) The guys are saying, Amen. There's not a married person in this room, I don't care how great you think your marriage is, that you haven't had to forgive your spouse in order to stay together. And some of us in this room have never developed the art of forgiveness because our mother never demonstrated it in our life. Our father never demonstrated it in our life, therefore now in marriage we have no point of reference. It's not our normal to ask for forgiveness But I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, just open up your Bible and you will discover it. I dare you. I dare you just to pray the Lord's Prayer this week, every day. Just not the whole thing, just part of it. Forgive me of my sins as I forgive those that sin against me. I dare you to pray that. And then after you pray that, ask the question on the screen. If God forgave you, like you forgive him or you forgive her, would you be saved today? Or would you be going to hell right now? Think about it. If God forgave you like you forgive your spouse, would you still be saved? And I don't understand How people can get down on their knees and ask God to forgive them. To believe that He will actually forgive your imperfections and forgive your mistakes. Yet when you get a chance to operate in forgiveness with your spouse. Yeah, right. I ain't going to forgive you for what you've done. Plus, I'm going to make your next five years a living hell for what you did to me. Are you hearing me? You may justify it because it's holy. You don't know what He did to me, Pastor. You don't know the things that I can't give over. You may think it's holy and righteous and pure, but I'm telling you it's because you're hellish. It ain't got nothing to do with holy and pure. Because you cannot be an unforgiving Christian. It's an oxymoron. Christians are forgiving. So how can we be an unforgiving wife? And how can we be an unforgiving husband? And I'll tell you what helps all of these is the last one, is the art of openness. Let me explain. About eight years ago, seven years ago, when I first got here, there was a big old roll of carpet in the back. I tried to be Superman and Hercules and move it. And I busted my L4 and L5, just ruptured it. I didn't know it at the time, but I had back issues. But 
Lord knows I was not going to go get operated on because I hate operations. So I was doing everything I could. I was bouncing on little rubber balls. I'm going to get fixed. I went to some chiropractor. They hooked my head up to some contraption, my feet up to the other, and they, we're going to stretch you. I like, dial that thing up to about 100, okay? I was drinking fish oil, just rubbing it on my back. One time my brother pray, prayed for me. He said, uh, put your phone on your back. Just put your phone on your back. I was like, okay. So I'm just going to pray for it. So I put the phone out. Hey, yeah, Lord, heal me. Yeah, I believe it. Hallelujah. I mean, I was doing everything. Then I got to this therapist, and he said, have you ever heard of needling? I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I heard of needles, and I don't like it. He said, just, just give me a chance. I mean, like, he begged me to, I mean, he's like, weird, you know. I just want to poke you. Um, but I always rejected it, so finally I gave in. And I was like, okay, it can't hurt, right? Oh, it hurt. Because, <laughs> I mean, he, like, took that thing into my back and poked my spine. I could feel it up in my brain. And when he did, I, I just flinched, y'all. I mean, I flinched bad. So guess what I did? I knew it was going to hurt, so I just stayed that way. He's like, I ain't even got another one in there. I said, I don't care. You reaching for it? I just stayed flinched. And then it dawned on me. That's what happens in marriages. Because after we've been hurt, we just... We flinch up. So write this down. The hardest thing in the world to do is after you have been hurt, just open up again. The art of openness is hard because you have to open up your soul, your spirit, your heart, your mind, your will. And, and, and I understand it. I mean, my flinching was my natural propensity to, to survive the needle. It's a survival instinct. We lock up. We flinch and we stay in the state of self-protection to keep that person from hurting me again and again and again. But I've got news for you. The very fact that you're not open, it is killing your relationship. And you will never be open without effort. It takes effort. You have to literally focus on getting yourself. Okay, okay, i got to open up my heart. I've got to open up my will. I've got to open up my, my mind. I've got to open up in this moment. I've got to let my feelings go. I've got to feel this moment. I've got to become one with her. I've got to feel her vibe. I've got to open up. And 30 years is a long time to stay open. 10 years is a long time to stay open. But I'm telling you, if you never open, you will never be fulfilled. Even just not in a marriage, but just in life. If you never open up, you'll never be fulfilled. Why? Because in a relationship, if you never open up, they're only loving your shell. And they're not truly getting to love who you truly are. Because you'll never expose who you truly are. So truly, they're not loving you. So there's an art to openness as the musicians come. And let me just say this, and I hope you understand this. Openness is so important that God will not even place His Word in you until you open up your heart. You can't just come and sit at church and all of a sudden, I'm changed. <laughs> Went to church today. I'm good. Yeah, uh-huh, I got this. And that's why we're seeing a lot of you fail at your walk with Christ. Because you think being in the building, you're going to get this by osmosis. 
Just because you're around the anointing and the presence of God, you're all of a sudden going to get this. No, you've got to open up this heart. That's why worship service is the most important thing we do. You've got to come to a place with God that you're open so that when you do have the ability to open, He can now plant the seed of the Word in your heart. And there's somebody in this room today, just because you're married and just because you have a ring on your finger doesn't mean you're still open. Just like just because you come to church does not mean you're open. Open means that you are present in the moment. I am connected on a level spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. I'm here with you, girl. I'm here with you. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling what you're trying to communicate to me. And what are we missing? (laughs) We're closing up. We're flinching. Some of you came in the marriage with a hurt. Some of you came in the marriage with wounds. Some of you came in the marriage not hurt with no wounds. And then your spouse hurt you and wounded you. But no matter how you came in, if we constantly stay flinched and we never relax, it ain't going to work. Because I promise you, marriage will sometimes be good. Marriage will sometimes be bad. Sometimes you will love him and sometimes you'll want to kill him. But you cannot stay flinched. You have to relax. And after years and years of marriage, you have to make the decision, do I stay flinched or do I learn the art of openness and stay relaxed? Because either over time you're going to tighten up all the time or you're going to determine I'm going to stay relaxed and in the moment. So the question for all of us in this room is, do we have the courage to love again? Do we have the courage to feel again? Do we have the courage to engage again? Because I'm telling you, if you're in this room and you're not happy, not just with your spouse, but in your life, it's because you're not open. Now, bring it into your spouse. What is the stuff between you? Is it somebody? Is it something that he did 15 years ago? Is it something you just won't forget? Because if there is no in- intimacy, heard a preacher once say, intimacy is when you see into me. I allow you to see into me. That's intimacy. I try to be intimate with my spouse on levels that they will, you will never get, but they will get because they will see my tears and they will see my heart. They will see me break over things that you've never seen me break over. Because I want them to see into me. Because I want to become one with them. Just like I've become one with her. And I find myself the happiness when I'm open. And baby, I'm an open book. I'll just vomit my emotions all over you. And I'm happy as a lark. Because if you stay flinched. Listen to me, listen to me, this is good. If you stay flinched, even over the fact that they said, not I'm I'm sorry, because sorry is just you got caught. 
If you stay flinched over they after they have repented. Baby, I'm sorry. I never realized that this was going to hurt you in that way. I will never do that thing again. I promise you. But if you stay flinched and you never give them the chance to trust you or to trust them, never give them the opportunity to prove to you that they can change, if you stay flinched, they'll never be able to prove themselves to you because you're so tight and hard and not open to allow them another chance. Are you listening to me? So you have to consciously decide today to open up. To live again, to breathe again, to love again, to touch again, to laugh again, to listen again, to be a student again of your spouse. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've walked in this room, maybe you've never opened up to Jesus Christ and, and you want to. This would be an opportunity for you to open up your heart and let him come in. If you stay flinched forever trying to figure it all out, trying to figure this, trying to figure that, then guess what? It's hard for him to come in with a hard heart. So if you can just relax in this moment of time, instead of flinching when you hear every head bowed and every eye closed, and let him in, I promise you, he can change your life forever. If that's you and you want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would you raise your hand in this place? That's me, Pastor. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I just want to relax in this moment and receive him today. Anybody in this room, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Amen. I'm going to work on the couples. Look at me. Who here wants a strong marriage? Okay, the rest of you will be praying for you. I just want to say this, and I want to say this with all integrity and honesty as, as I can. If you don't learn to listen to your shepherd. A person that honestly loves you. Some of you have spent eight years with you. And I, I am not knocking this by no way. I think there's value for it, but if you don't listen to me, you will go to a counselor and pay big money. You, you, if you don't listen to me, you will go to these marriage seminars of people that don't really care about you, that the church paid for them to come in, so they're, yes, they have a ministry, but they're getting paid to do it. They don't know you. They got a canned spiel that they're going to give to you. And what you think is in one moment of time, somebody anointed and appointed for the time is going to give me a word that's really going to transform my home life. Baloney. There is not a magical sentence that any preacher or any speaker or any conference leader could say that is radically going to change your life. Especially if you don't learn how to listen to me. Because I love you. I want the best for you. So I guarantee you, if you don't listen to me, you're not going to listen to a counselor. You're not going to listen to a conference speaker. You're not going to listen to nobody. If you won't listen to me. Are you hearing me today? And if you don't listen to me, the only thing that you're going to hear is case dismissed. It'll be the judge's gavel down there getting divorced. So I'm telling you, all of us, every Sunday, no matter what I'm talking about, we need to let God in. 
Let me tell you something. It is no shame to need help. But it is a shame to have help every single Sunday and not embrace it. I try my best to offer you as much help as I need. I take this seriously. I labor over this daily. There are some of you know what my secret ritual is on Saturday. And I'm not going to tell everybody else because that's only you seeing into me. That's how seriously I take it. Because I want to help you. So as you're sitting there today, move away from your defense. Relax. Open up to the Lord. And especially open up your heart to the one that you're with. To the one that you're married to. Stand your feet all over this place. I want to pray for you. Anybody get anything out of today? Uh, We could have you all come up to the altar, but let's just just hold hands with your spouse. Melissa, if you want to go down and if if, if you want to hold hands or go up or if there's people in the back that need to go hold hands with your spouse, let's do that because I really want to pray over you. Let's give them time if, if they, anybody, just them two. Y'all married? Y'all come hold hands with me? No, I'm just kidding. Holy Spirit, move in this room right now. You are the author of marriage. If you don't do a miracle work in somebody's life right now, it can't be done. There are couples in this room that need you today. There are marriages in this room that some are good and some of are in trouble. Some may be in trouble and the spouse doesn't even know it because they haven't even opened up to say, I'm done. There are some in this room that are divorced and we understand the pain and the hurt. And unfortunately, sometimes we come into a relationship and there are spouses that aren't even there anymore. They're in the house. They wear the ring, but they're just not there anymore. They come home, but they don't really come home. Father, today bring life. Heal the wounds. Encourage change in this room. Touch your people, O God, today. Let the bad marriages go to good. Let the good marriages be better. Let the best marriages in here be glorious. Touch our homes, touch our hearts, touch our marriages today. You're the master physician in this room. Fix the sick places in all of us. The broken areas, mend it, O God. Make us one flesh today. Make us one couple today. Help us settle our differences today. I pray it over every couple in this room. 
And it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. I dare you with your spouse as we sing a worship song. Whoever has to do it, I don't care. That you would just open up. Don't leave immediately because you're so in a hurry to get in the home. It's only 12 o'clock. Unless you're a diabetic and you're about to die. Um, and then you got to go get something to eat. But take time with your spouse. Hold their hand. Put the arm around them. Pray for them. Worship with them. The most intimate thing you can do with your spouse is to worship with them. That both of y'all are letting God in that space, in that moment, to change you. I promise you, you practice these five things and you'll have a bulletproof marriage. Amen? Whatever's on your heart, ladies, whoever's singing, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, be with all of us. Change us. Save us. Don't let anybody, after hearing these words, harden their heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.